Welcome to Alter Everything, a podcast about data and analytics culture. I'm Brian Oblinger, and I'll be your host. We're joined by Ben Sullins for a chat about data science, the world of Teslanomics, and why soft skills are the future of your career. Let's get right into it. All right, Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. So let's start with you. Tell us about, you know, you and your journey kind of to analytics, through analytics. Yeah, it's been a wild one. You know, I've been um, a lifelong data geek is how I like to describe it. Uh, I was very fortunate early in my life to find this bug for technology where I just wanted to figure it out. Uh, To me, it was the ultimate like hacking ability was to be able to, to manipulate and get technology to do what you want. And at an early age, I was uh, fortunate enough to land a job as a as an intern at MCI, a phone company that no longer exists. <laughs> um, but at the time, was like the pinnacle of tech, right? Google didn't exist, Facebook didn't exist, the internet was a bit like very nascent kind of thing. Um, so the the tech companies of the world at the time were telecom companies, and I was able on the on the help desk there to get a taste of everything. And it was nice because now I had this this broad sense of what technology was. And I really found my niche working with data. And that was at the time, that would <laughs> that would be my uh, Excel 97 uh, with Microsoft Access. Um, you know, this isn't like, this is prior to even Office 2000 right. and any of that stuff. This is like super early days. Like .NET didn't exist yet, <laughs> right? This is like ancient history in the tech world. But I found my love for being able to look at these numbers and manipulate them and do like Excel formulas and stuff and then give that information to different teams to help them uh, do their jobs better. And like through those efforts, we had some wild stuff going on at the time that even by today's standards, I would say is like in terms of what we were able to do, like real-time analytics off of a Unix-based system Mm. that was giving predictions for call volumes for our sales staff. I mean, like by the minute. Mind-blowing, like analytics happening. I mean, in the late 90s, by (laughs) hand, using uh, Visual Basic for applications, like wild stuff. We were able to actually grow the call center to be the number one sales call center for the whole company um, for like several quarters in a row until, you know, Verizon bought us and shut everyone down. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like like since then, I just had this insane passion. And throughout my career, there have always been opportunities to do other things that were uh, maybe more sexy or more fun or maybe made more money. Uh, you know, back in the early or the early O's, um, everyone was going into real estate because you could make all this yeah, money selling that, mortgages. You missed out. You should have right? got in there like maybe right around 08. You yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's one of those things where it was like, you know, I never I just stuck with what I liked and I liked turning data, just raw, basic information, you know, event logs and things into something that people could then use to to improve their business, you know. Um, so that it's always been my passion. And I just was lucky enough or fortunate enough to like see that and not stray from it for almost 20 years until, you know, I decided to quit my job and start making <laughs> YouTube videos. So, uh, so before we get to the quitting your job and making YouTube videos, tell us a little bit about, I know that you, at one point you had the title of data scientist, I believe. You know, I've, I've always, it's interesting. So this audience, I would consider myself more of a data analyst, Mm. but I've also held the role of data engineer, um, front end web developer, because, uh, unlike today, if you wanted to build a website where somebody could go view a chart or even just a table of data, you had to hand code that. Yep. 
right? So I've had like a myriad of roles. I don't think any of my roles have ever been what I would call what people that are listening to this would consider a data scientist. But if I'm talking to Joe Rogan about it, to the general population, we're all data scientists, right? right? So I think that term to somebody that knows what it means, I wouldn't say that's ever been a job I've had, but I consider the whole field to be data science um, because that just seems to be the term that has generally been adopted now. If you say business intelligence or something, people (laughs) no clue, right? right? But if you say data science, it's like, oh, Nate Silver, DJ Patil, like these, you know, kind of famous data scientists, you know? So, so yeah, so that's kind of where I land on that whole thing. Cool. Okay. So you, uh, you conquered the world uh, in, uh, in the data <laughs> science world, and then you quit it. So tell me about that. Well, there's a funny thing that happens when you bring another human into this world. <laughs> <laughs> they are very demanding. Yeah. Um, and when your job goes from super fun startup, 50 people, you are just doing everything, bringing all of your knowledge and experience to make a difference every day and grow this company to sitting in meetings, going to executive offsites, just explaining why your team exists, what you do um, when you're in a remote location, it the dynamic changes dramatically. And so my job went from being super fun, I was crazy engaged, passionate about it, into more typical corporate kind of political environment, which is fine. But when you when I had my my little guy, it was like I don't want to be done with work and then still be stressed mm-hmm. all night thinking about what someone said or the meeting I have coming up. I just looked at my life at the time and thought, man, you know, I had already made, I think, seven or eight online courses that were generating some some residual income. And so I kind of said, all right, when that when that catches up to my salary, I'm done. You know, and it's one of those things where if you have this side hustle and you're trying to like grow this business, whatever it may be, you get to the point where like, okay, if I had more time to do it, I could turn this thing into a billion dollar enterprise, right? But you can't you can't get there unless you leave your current job. So I got to the point where I wasn't enjoying my work anymore. It wasn't the fun startup. I had a, I had a very demanding little human, um, and I wanted to do something more. And so at that time I was like, all right, cool. I've, I've done, you know, almost 20 years in corporate America at every level in, in the data field you can imagine. And it was one of those things where I was like, cool, now it's my time to do my own thing, to take that next step. And so, yeah, so I left and started my own business. Cool. So tell me, tell me about that business. What does that look like? Well, the, I called it Green Bar Data, and it's not a name you hear me advertise. That's <laughs> the LLC, but um, it's in reference to Green Bar Reports, which maybe some people listening to this remember. <laughs> but in dot matrix printer days, um, or actually, it's not dot matrix. It's the one where you had the perforated edges. Yeah, you would get, and this is what we had in MCI originally. You'd get what we call Green Bar Reports, and it would be the the like the stats for the day, and it was just basically just numbers with like a little, you know, like if you could just type it in like. <laughs> the smallest, most concise format, you know, what like the sales numbers were or right. whatever. And so you'd peel them off the printer and deliver them. So that was the name of it. Um, the idea is I have now uh, 26 online courses, uh, all in the data field from things that are very general, um, general purpose, like data, what I call data analysis fundamentals, something that I think anybody in this field on any level should should have this this base knowledge um, of like how it all fits together, how to communicate, how to how to figure out what your users need versus what they're asking for, right? Right, things like that. Um, to you know, uh, building. 
force direct layout graphs in D3, which is like something not everyone in the world is going to do or want to do. So, so that was what my business was as soon as I left my, my full-time role was just make online courses. Um, and I cranked out a lot of them, you know, 26 of them now, uh, before, you know, I stopped doing that and started doing YouTube. So yeah, so uh, I think we've we've buried the lead here a little bit. Uh, we've been on for a little while, and we're now going to talk about YouTube. So tell me about YouTube. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fickle thing. Um, <laughs> I have mixed emotions about YouTube. I love it and I hate it. Um, I, I get to do and have some of the most fun ever in my career um, by geeking out about Tesla, which is a company that I've been fascinated with ever since I first got to ride in one, uh, geez, I don't know, six years ago or something, um, because they were they were the only company that I ever felt made a car that was worthy of my dollar. Um, and what I mean is, uh, you know, the car I had prior to that, I, I, it was like a Honda Civic or a Honda Accord or something. I remember them trying to sell me this DVD navigation package <laughs> that can be built into it for $2,000. Only $2,000. Yeah, and then every year you have to load a DVD in and update it. And I thought, this is the dumbest thing ever. I have this little tiny supercomputer in my pocket that it like blows this whole car out right. of the water. I'm like, how do you not find room for this thing? And so Tesla did that, right? They really started as, as a tech company um, with, with bringing that sense of like software and, and all the things you'd expect from a smartphone into the car. So I was fascinated with them from early on. And before I left my full-time job, I bought one, um, a used one. And on, a, a lot of it was predicated on the fact that we'd be saving money on gas. Mm. And um, so a year after that, my wife asked me, okay, data guy, you know, prove it to me. Show me the numbers, right? And so very, I did. Very smart, that one you got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it was, uh, I don't even think we had it for a year. It was almost a year. And and I, I made, so what I had been doing on YouTube prior to that was just making these teaser videos. Like, here's the number one function you need to know in Excel. Um, like, everybody in the world needs to know this. The VLOOKUP, right? right? You have to know that. Like, you just have to. <laughs> um, and, and so doing little videos like that as like, hey, this is a teaser go watch my full course where I go into this, right? Um, not realizing at the time, but that was basically a fruitless effort. <laughs> like it just didn't make any difference. A thousand people could go watch my course and it didn't make any real difference in the revenue mm. I got. So uh, one of those videos, though, was answering my wife's question about, okay, well, how much money are we saving? And it was a terrible video. It, it, it still is a terrible video. Uh, it was shot with 720p with a webcam, with a webcam horrible lighting. Um, the audio was good because I'd been making all these online courses. So I had a good microphone and that was good, but it was me talking over a spreadsheet I put together that was just showing gas prices, how many miles we drove, uh, what the average like miles per gallon would be for a similar car, how much money that would cost versus how much we spent on electricity, uh, which was kind of hard to get to. But anyways, yeah, I mean, that was the video. It was hastily done, you know, and within the first week it had like 200,000 views on YouTube. Which I think by any standard, even the biggest YouTubers, like, I think like that's, that's okay. Like, you know, for me, I think I had 800 subscribers um, at the time. And so I was blown away by that. Um, So that's, that's kind of the spark that started um, Teslanomics, which is now my full-time job. Right. So now you're, you're, so I I watch a lot of your videos. Uh, That's how I found you. And and, uh, so I... I noticed, like, you're, I think it's Tableau that you're using, but you're you're still doing that same thing, right? You're putting this data in. You're trying to solve problems. You're trying to answer questions people are lobbing at you. Tell me a little bit about that that process, and you know, what do you do there, and and sort of what it, what are you really trying to convey to people beyond just the obvious, um, you know, stories about Tesla? I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely um, wanted to bring 
you know, me, my personality, my background into this space. Um, at the time and still today, a lot of what you see, anything Tesla related on YouTube um, or online is about either, you know, autopilot, you know, safety or uh, just how sexy these cars are or racing, stuff like that. Um, but you know, me with my background, I thought I had something unique to offer, which was a more analytical view on, on the company and what it means for consumers. So I try to stay focused on a lot of consumer stuff. Uh, Elon doesn't make that easy on us always <laughs> with kind of the drama, but, but mostly my focus or, um, is, is around like what it means to you. So I built a lot of tools, um, and I also have an app. And so I have a lot of data around Tesla's, like how efficient they are, phantom drain, how much it'll actually cost you, like looking at charging rates and how much it'll mm. cost to charge. And so I've built online tools and then I analyze the results of people using those tools and I have all these things. So, I, you know, I'm trying to bring um, a more objective kind of, yeah, data-driven approach to understanding a company that's that's really changing our world unlike, you know, many others. Yeah. It's not surprising to me you've been successful in this because I, I think that, you know, as people shift from traditional gas cars, which are, uh, you know, a known quantity, right? People understand miles per gallon. They understand how it's going to drive, you know, they, they get all of that launching in now to this EV world. There's so many questions people have about, you know, to your point, what is it going to cost me? What are the actual economics or the Teslanomics of these things? Um, so, you know, that's definitely like sort of where I got onto your videos too, is because I'm thinking like, well, Hey, here's two things I like, you know, I'm I'm looking at these cars, but also, um, exploring the data and trying to understand, you know, how is this going to be different? How's this going to change the world? Those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, I love it. And we'll definitely, we'll definitely point people towards the the channel. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. I'm trying to help people understand what's going on because I think we're at, uh, we're at a really interesting time in history where we're seeing a shift and Tesla kind of is the, um, the one driving it. Uh, they're setting the bar, you know, um, and, and that all the other automakers are, are trying to kind of catch up to. And I think that that's what's going to drive. I, I, people compare them to Apple a lot with the iPhone. And the, I think that's, a good comparison but the the good news about that is that if you look at the the smartphone market you know apple has 15 percent of it um whereas we maybe in southern california think of everyone having an iphone really worldwide they have 15 percent mm-hmm. which is a huge percent for a single company but that means 85 percent of the smartphone market is not an iphone um are, are, are not iphones and so if we think that same thing is going to play out with Tesla, that's a great story because Tesla will still capture the majority of the profits because they make premium products. Mm-hmm. They don't make ugly or slow or, <laughs> or short range EVs right. uh, that we, you know, of, of the first generation. Um, th- but, you know, because of that, because, because of what they do and how they've changed people's perception, I mean, besides the old iPhones, there are very few companies, if any, where people will stand in line in the rain to put down a deposit on something that they may or may not see within like two to three years down the road. Right. You know, there are people literally standing in line in Europe for a car that still to this day does not exist in Europe. <laughs> that was right. over two years ago. Right. You know, that just doesn't happen. And so because of their able their ability to capture people's like product lust, um, I think it's forcing or even opening the door for Jaguar or BMW or Mercedes, who's launching an EV soon, to make really legit good electric vehicles. So I think like 
they're the catalyst that's going to push us there. And I want to be here to help understand how that's happening. Um, because I think it's a fascinating story. And we're going to look back on this, you know, when my son's older, thinking, what the hell were you doing driving <laughs> this gas car? Yeah. What, is, what is going on? That doesn't make any sense to him. You know what I mean? Because um, I think it'll be the gas car will be displaced much quicker than people maybe maybe think right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, kind of shifting back to the data science aspect of, of your life and what you've done, what's what's the coolest thing you ever did from a from a, you know, data analytics, data science, however you want to put it? What's I'm just mm. kind of looking for, you know, like you, you've been in this game a long time, just kind of trying to explore, like, you know, what's the what's the thing you're most proud of, I guess? Man, um, a lot of things come to mind. Uh yeah, still probably one of the funnest things that I ever helped build was was back at MCI, believe it or not. So that I mentioned it already, or I touched on it, was we had, so our sales systems were AS400 VAX terminals. I mean, this is like as old school as old <laughs> yeah. school gets, right? There was no mouse for these systems. And um, working with the the manager of the IT desk, the help desk uh, in the call center, uh, me and a couple of the guys on my team built this real-time analytics engine off of this Unix-based system. And if you were thinking about doing that today, you might think, hmm, okay, maybe there's a database. I can just connect to the database, query the database, or maybe there's you know an API or something, whatever I can get the data from. No, none of that stuff existed. This was total black hat. The uh, the the corporate IT did not want us doing this. <laughs> you know? I bet they were sort of like, uh, yeah. No. And 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 actually, a funny story. A lesson learned then actually was applied when I was at Pluralsight not too long ago, where um, one of the guys on my team, Mike Roberts, built a PowerShell script to do a completely um, unattended installation of Tableau Server. So I don't know if they even have that now, but at the time, this little technique we used way back in like 98, 99 <laughs> was used, you know, yeah. just a couple years ago to accomplish a similar thing. Um, so what it did is it was a VBA macro that would scrape, that would literally take a screenshot of this, of this Unix terminal, um, pasted into Excel, and then we had other macros it would call in access to pull that data into access, and then we built uh, reports that I could just refresh. Wow. And, and I would literally work until 10 p.m. with the, the managers of the call center that were doing outbound telemarketing at the time, which we all hate, but it worked. And so at the time, you know, I, I'm, I'm real time communicating with these managers going, hey, you have too many people in this call campaign. Um, they're burning through these leads. We're going to we're going to run out, you know, hours before it's the, 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 the our call time is over because there's laws about how long. And and I mean, I did that for months and we crushed it. And, and and that right there, like like still, like imagine trying to do that today. Real time analytics on your outbound call operations, <laughs> uh, you know, adjusting on the fly stuff. Yeah. Even with today's technology, that's not easy. That's not something you can just like get out of the box somewhere, right? right? And so I look back at that. I was like, that was one of the coolest funnest things I've ever done. And it had a serious impact for our business. And for all the people working there, we had like 1200 employees. So yeah, it was a blast. I mean, I've done so many like, fun things, growing teams, growing organizations, help companies go from basically not having a data program to having one that I think is, is well-respected in the industry, things like that. So, you know, it's been a long journey, almost 20 years. Um, but I look back to those little things. It's like, wow, like, I, I guess that goes to the hacker mentality I have. You know, of just like, look, I want to get it done. I, I want the answer and I want to make a decision. I don't care about, you know, like we can figure out the proper data model and architectures once we validate that what we're doing is is of use, you know? Yeah. Okay. So uh, 
let's let's look forward now. So where, from your perspective, where are we going with this whole, you know, data science analytics? What is, what's your view on that? And, you know, uh, it, it's, it, I have like a utopian view and a, and a, a dystopian view. Let's, let's get both. This will be <laughs> okay. great. Um, so at Pluralsight, we tried to do some fun stuff uh, along this route, and it looks like there's been some development. But um, the idea that uh, a person has to sift through the, your, your daily numbers and figure out what's important, I think is going to go away. Uh, I think we're going to be able to make um, make bots and, and machine learning algorithms and build systems around them that will predict what is of interest and needs to be uh, brought to someone's attention now versus maybe someone else can, can look at later. Um, so I think things like that, like kind of automated insights, um, will will become more prevalent and I think will become, for business owners, just fantastic. Um, think of, and, and actually I've seen, even in YouTube, I've been, um, they've updated their analytics recently yep. and and one of the fascinating things i saw the other day is um i logged in after i posted a video to see how it was doing and uh it gave me a little thing it said oh this video had x number of views within the first hour which is uh you know uh, higher than your previous videos that means it'll probably do good i'm like wow brilliant like you like typically that would take a person to tell right. me that or me being me i would just figure that out because I you know have that context built in right. but it was able to deliver an insight to me without without like on its own I think we're going to see more and more of that like hey plug in all your data here set up your your KPIs for your different you know parts of your business or whatever and then we're going to we're going to highlight ones we think are of interest to you you tell us whether or not those are interesting now you're training a data model to to tell it what's important and not mm. you're still going to have people there figuring it out and and really like adding the context of the team or whatever to to, to add the the kind of deep value, but a lot of that surface level stuff of like, hey, why were sales down twenty percent yesterday? Oh, well, because we had an issue with the website, right? Like, I think a lot of that stuff will just be figured out automatically, um, and so that will save time for people to go deeper into stuff to find like greater valuable bits of gold uh, buried in the data. Um, but I think like that's something I, I'm looking forward to, and I think a lot of folks, uh, business folks especially, are, are wanting. Or if they don't know they want it, they're going to want it, right? I think that's no the, doubt. That's the no other doubt. thing. I think, you know, there's still some of the, uh, hey, we've been doing it this way for 20 years. We'll keep doing it this way contingent. Mm -hmm. And I guess that sort of brings us full circle back to the, the Tesla thing, right? Which is, I, I think people don't know they want it maybe until they've ridden in one or yeah. they've, they've understood. And, you know, when I think about, so first of all, I think you're totally right. I think the automation is, is going to be the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I think about myself, like, what do I believe is the biggest like analytical challenge we're going to solve in the next, you know, couple of decades. Uh, I do look at things like, you know, autonomous driving cars, right. Cause it occurs to me that this is essentially streaming data from radar, yeah. lidar sensors, you know, whatever it is. And basically the computer in there has to do all this in real time to keep you safe and navigate the road. Yeah. And, and on the latest um, earnings call that was fascinating, I don't know if you listen to that, um, you know, not many people probably <laughs> listening to Tesla earnings calls, uh, but but I do. And um, they actually brought the autopilot team on the call, right. which was uh, which was unusual, right? Usually it's just uh, Elon, Deepak and JB, the, the kind of C-level folks. And, and they had them talk about that because they've had to make new uh, chips. Yep. 
uh, in order to process this data in real time, which uh, I, I did this past January spend um, an afternoon with the Mercedes self-driving team, and I got to drive in there or ride in their level five S-Class. Mm. Super cool. Um, and that was a big question I posed to them. I'm like, well, look, it's fine if, I'm a, if, I, if the roads are a known quantity. Mm. Um, and so I, I, have, I have like a, a mixed view on this, but um, I think true, like true autonomous vehicles are maybe 10, 15 years away. Um, I think what we'll see in between here and there are what people will call self-driving vehicles, but aren't truly fully autonomous. Like a good example would be at maybe an airport or maybe at a, a university where the roads are well maintained. They're known. The thing only has to go five miles an hour to be useful. Um, you know, so th- those things I think we'll see today and tomorrow. That's easy. If you can hard code, essentially the route it's going, what to expect, et cetera. Right. The, the impossible thing is to figure out, you know, traffic, um, construction on the road, snow, like things like that are, 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 are near, like, like incredibly difficult to try to figure out in real time right. when the car has never encountered it before. Right. That's what machine learning is aiming to do. And it does work when you have, you know, it connected with a, with a fiber channel and, and <laughs> mountains of Ram right. and, and GPUs to process stuff on. Right. Like Google can figure out what you want before you want it because they have the entire like giant data center powering that one query. Your car isn't there yet. So I think it's fascinating, but I think there are some, for self-driving cars to be reality, there's some hardware challenges that, that we have to solve. Sure. First. Yeah. And uh, spoiler alert, I am a huge nerd. I do listen to the earnings calls <laughs> and I was like super excited. I'm like, wait, yeah. like they have data people on the earnings call? Like this is amazing. Yeah. You know, so I think you're starting to see that come into more focus for these businesses, not just Tesla, but a, a lot of businesses of a lot of different stripes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of how important you know, data science and analytics is, how they're embracing it. And you start to see these signals kind of slowly leaking out of, you know, their earnings calls or, you know, the news that they put out about um, how they see this as being a pillar of their future. So, yeah, yeah, completely. I think of companies, I mean, wow. Like it's funny too, after spending uh, a few years uh, consulting in Silicon Valley, I mean, data is the name of the game, right? If you go to work at Facebook and you're in the HR department, right? And you're a recruiter, you spend six weeks at data camp figuring out how to use data. (laughs) Why? Because the entire company is full of data geeks that just have the greatest amount of data and tools available to them, you know, known, known to the world. So it's one of those things like, like those companies get it. And those that do, I think will thrive and other companies will wonder how they were able to figure that out, right? How they were able to, to come up with that program that works so well. Well, because you had some really smart people experimenting with an idea, seeing (laughs) if it would work, you know, you didn't just go off your gut instinct. And, And I mean, that's, that's, I, at this point, I think hopefully proven, Yeah, you know, you need that no matter what, what type of organization you have. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to the point where on everybody's resumes, instead of putting Microsoft office as their, uh, <laughs> their, you know, proficient skill, they'll just say, you know, data analytics or data science, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, which brings me actually to a, a, another great topic. So you talked a little bit before about the courses that you've created over time and, and how that's gone. I know that you've recently kind of announced a new one. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I've been wanting to do this for a while, um, and I feel my I'm uniquely kind of positioned to help people uh, get their first job in the field of data science and various different roles, as well as to advance their careers. Um, so I'm launching what I call the Free the Data Academy, uh, and the idea is essentially that it's it's soft skills um, for people in the data industry. So. 
one of the challenges that I've found over the years is you can have people that are just tremendous, uh, what I would call doers. They, they can write code, they can do analysis, they can come up with, with findings that are truly valuable. But none of that matters if you can't stand in front of a room of executives and convince them that your experiment is valid and they should act on it. Like it does not matter how good your experiment was or how how elegant your code was. That is like worth zero unless you can actually communicate that in a way that moves people. Now, when I was building teams at, at organizations, this would be the difference that I saw between uh, a director and just a, a regular individual contributor, right? So you could be a fantastic data scientist running really, really great experiments, finding beautiful things, but I am not going to put you in front of the CEO and have you try to present that idea. Right. Right. If you're the director of data science, I'm going to expect that you can do both of those things well. And so to me, that is a huge piece that's missing. In fact, just uh, the last night, because I'm, I'm adding several different aspects. There's the soft skills. I am going to add a technical foundations for people that are kind of new to this. Um, and also, I think the technical foundations will be good for people that are, are super niche focused in one area. Like a good example is when I worked at Mozilla. That we had, we had, and they, they still, I'm sure, have a tremendous team of of real, like what we would call data scientists, right? S- uh, statisticians, essentially, that can code. And so we had people there. I remember that were that were working on their PhDs in in stats from Harvard that could not install software on their laptop. I think that's a shame. <laughs> you should have a base level understanding of all technology <laughs> right. if you are going to try to be functioning in a role at an extremely high level, right? I'm not going to pay you 150 grand a year and then you tell me you can't install Alteryx or Tableau or whatever the hell tools we right. use at our business. It's just unacceptable. You need to have that base level. So, so I've got my soft skills, which I think are critical for people to succeed because when it comes down to it, we're all human and we all respond to the same psychological triggers that we've been like evolved to respond to for millions of years. So no matter how much time we spent at university or uh, or in business or whatever, we still behave very similarly given similar triggers. And so that's what I want to help people understand is that when you have a finding, when you have something that needs to be communicated and needs to be acted upon, how do you do that? And the answer isn't a chart or, or, I mean, it could be a chart, but that's not like the answer, right? And it's not a, uh, a better like a uh, font or something like that. It is using the same presentation and storytelling methods that we as humans still to this day respond to in very similar ways. So that is, I think a key piece and none of the courses I've ever taught, none of the platforms I've ever taught on cover this. I haven't found anything besides like a 10 week, $20,000 mm-hmm. offsite, like, you know, boot camp right. um, that will actually solve that. So I wanted to do some more stuff and this time I'm doing it on my own. So that's the Free the Data Academy um, and that's the first thing, soft skills, technical skills, and I'll probably add an interviewing section as well for people that where it's like, hey, this, you know, first job, maybe maybe you have a degree, which it's amazing you can get a degree in some data field now. Yeah. When I went to school, didn't yeah, exist. wasn't around. Yeah, yeah none <laughs> of that stuff was there. Um, so I think, you know, that is what my, my, my focus is now because we need people that are skilled at this that can also make a difference. Um, it's not enough just to be a good 
coder anymore or, or to be a good uh, mathematician. That's not enough to be successful in business. And so that's what I'm trying to bridge that gap. I'm trying to help people go from, hey, I, kn- I know how to, how to use R or Alteryx or whatever. I know how to actually do the data part, but I don't know how to actually make a difference. So that, that's the main focus. Very cool, man. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll make sure we put links to the show notes in that for you. Um, so I think that's about it from my end. Where do people go to get more Ben Sullins? Yeah, so you can find me at teslanomics.co um, for all the Tesla-related stuff um, or just to bensullins.com where I'm starting up my blog again. I've had that blog going for like 12 years now. It's wow. crazy. It used to just be when I would figure something out because I was a Microsoft business intelligence consultant many moons ago <laughs> and Microsoft is very great at not documenting everything fully. So back then it was just, hey, I figured this out. <laughs> I'm going to write it down. Right. Maybe someone else will like that. So at bensullins.com, that's where you get all the data stuff and you can learn more about the academy there and all that kind of thing. So Awesome. And uh, I follow you on Twitter, so we'll, yep. we'll make sure we point people in that direction. Um, yeah, thanks for being on, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Hey.